All right, continuing tonight with uh, what I promised myself is going to be a review. That's what we're doing. So we're not going to bog down in this. We're going to keep moving. Continuing tonight in the Revelation in chapter 17 concerning the mystery of the prostitute Babylon the Great. And let's just go ahead and just let's just go ahead and jump in here. We're going to read chapter 17 and then we'll start to dissect and unpack it. Now, if you'll remember, we have just seen. As we moved through chapter 14 and chapter 15, we, we, we saw kind of the narrative of the war that starts all the way back with enmity and, and, and the, the, the great red dragon from before time memorial and runs all the way up to the harvesting of the earth and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then we move out of that parenthetical section back to the kind of the timeline of the narrative proper. We've had the seal judgments, we've had the trumpet judgments, and we're now down to the bowl judgments. With this is the end, it says. And you get to the end of the bowl judgments, and then we see another parenthetical section, another section that kind of pulls away from the immediate timeline of the narrative and gives you more information about what is being talked about, because what you're about to see is the judgments of Babylon the Great at the second coming of Christ. And at this point in time, Babylon the Great has been mentioned, but only by name a couple of times in the narrative with really no background explanation. So this parenthetical section in chapter 17 kind of pulls away for a moment and goes, okay, there's about to be a major event that involves this individual. If you can call it an individual. This, this, this spiritual reality. And so you need to know some stuff about her so that when Christ does with her what he's about to do, you understand why he's doing it. And so, in chapter 17, then, one of the seven angels, there's some continuity and some shifting of gears here, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is, or that was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was not, it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. 
one is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast and that that was and is not... I'm going to get that down here in just a second. Probably about the time that, that you know the angel's done saying it will be when. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind. And they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire for God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the works of God or the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Okie dokie. A lot of information. Alright, so let's, let's just start at the beginning and we'll break it down and we'll get as much done as we can. The seventh bowl at the end of chapter 16, much like the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet that come before it, contains no specific judgment of its own. None of them do. The seventh seal doesn't have a judgment of its own. It introduces the judgment of the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet doesn't have a, seven, a judgment of its own. It introduces the judgment of the seven bowls, but with the seven bowls, the end has come. There's not an introduction for much else. It contains a small summation of the end and is followed by a detailed examination of Babylon the Great, both her character and fall and the beast that she sets upon in his character. John's vision of Babylon the Great and the beast in chapter 17, verses 1 and verse 3 is shown to him specifically it says by an angel of the seventh bowl this occurs in the spirit and into a wilderness so what we see here is a change of scene John was watching this heavenly scene where these bowls were being poured out on the earth and as they're being poured out all of this judgment is coming upon the earth and he's recording what he sees in real time in heaven and the results that he sees that is, are, are occurring on the earth. But here we see something different. Here we see something that is happening not in real time. Here we see something that is happening, quote, in the Spirit. And he's taken out to a wilderness, to a desert place. If, if you kind of have the idea from the movies, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're just kind of transported out to this nothingness. Probably a nothingness that isn't, doesn't actually exist anywhere you follow what I'm saying, to see this thing that's a woman but not a woman, and a beast but not an animal. One of the issues with apocalyptic prophecy is, is because of the fanciful things that are said both in imagery and in reality, a lot of people just get really uncomfortable with that and they can't separate the two um, because they don't pay enough attention to the grammar in the text and, and so they end up falling 
into one or two camps. And it's kind of like what we're talking about this morning. You know, people say, well, if God is this loving, he can't be this angry. And if God is this angry, he can't be this loving. So I prefer a loving God. So we're going to push the anger stuff kind of out of the way. Um, not understanding that it's the love that's producing the anger. Or, you know, hey, man, you know, we want a God that, that holds people to account and, and, you know, make sure that, you know, the rapist is punished and all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to diminish the love and hang on to the justice portion of things. And you can't do either one of those. They must be fully accepted as they are presented in the gospel. That's how it works. And the same thing is true with our approach to apocalyptic prophecy. Man, there is some stuff in there that is crazy over the top that is absolutely a legitimate real description of what's going on and the reason that that's happening is because these descriptions are describing spiritual realities not just earthly realities so guys there really is chapter 12 there really is an ancient red dragon he's got a name he's got many names you know but the one that God first called him was Lucifer the dragon wasn't necessarily bad at the beginning. But he's bad to the bone now. However, there's also other things, like in the book of Daniel, where he says, man, I saw this, this, this ram with, with two horns, but one was more prominent than the other, and he rose up and he trampled down you know, the bear. And that's imagery. How do you know the difference? Scripture tells you which one is which. And so the way we take scripture, our hermeneutical approach is, man, man, if you tell me something, I believe it's real, unless you tell me it's imagery, and then I believe it's real imagery. Like this was what was chosen to, to show you a, a bigger truth. Okay. This happens in the spirit, in the wilderness. We see a change of scene by the power of God, a vision separate from the immediate context of the bowls and outside their linear timeline. Once again, this is another par- parenthetical accession that expounds upon the previous section of text, the counterfeit of Revelation chapter 12 through 14, the counterfeit government, the counterfeit religion, all of these things that are going on that Satan's doing with, with the false prophet and, and, um, and his image and, and, and the Antichrist proper. And so here we see the, the, the spiritual reality that lies behind that in chapter 17 verses 1 through 7 we see the description of Babylon the Great and we won't go over it here too much we all read it just a moment ago Um, she has been mentioned previously in the revelation but abruptly and with no explanation uh, back in chapter 14 verse 8 and chapter 16 verse 19 but now we really get to kind of dig in and see her nature revealed it says that first and foremost that she's a prostitute and not just any prostitute but the great prostitute a prostitute with whom the kings of the earth commit sexual adultery, sexual immorality with, and the dwellers of the earth are drunk on her sexual immorality. So one of the things that's clear is whatever she's described as a woman, and she's described as a great prostitute, but she is not a woman. This is something that the entirety of the planet, apart from the faithful to Christ, are involved in. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet and gold and jewels and pearls and a gold cup in her hand full of the abominations, literally detestable things. You know, you'll hear guys come in and they'll try to make some kind of meaning out of all of this. Guys, there may be specific meaning uh, to all of this um, that we'll know when we get to heaven. But as far as the text is concerned, all this is doing is the pearls aren't speaking about, you know, some alliance that China's going to have with Russia and, you know, bring about the 
the great harlot or whatever. I mean, this is, it's speaking of opulence, worldly wealth, um, lavish overabundance. Um, it says that she is seated upon many waters and simultaneously upon a scarlet beast, and her name is Babylon the Great. It's called the Great Mystery. I think when, when we get to, um, when the Bible calls something a mystery, um, at that point in time, whatever it explains about said mystery is pretty much all you're going to get to know. You know, I mean, that's, uh, these, it, these guys crack me up, you know, they want to be big biblical scholars, and here's this thing, man, she is a mystery, here's what you get to know about her, oh, but we got to come up with a whole bunch more detail that scripture doesn't have, no, that's not, that's not how it works, if, if scripture says it's a mystery, then it is going to remain a mystery, except for what has been revealed in the word, um, it's written on her forehead, I mean, it pretty much identifies her to the reader, um, she is the mother of prostitutes, the mother of the earth's abominations, and drunk on the blood of the saints, <laughs> the witnesses of Jesus Christ and she causes John just to kind of have slack-jawed marvel over the nature of her being. And he says it requires wisdom to understand her, even out of the text. So what is that? Okay, number one, and she is a prostitute. She is the great prostitute. Um, And when you look at prostitution, harlotry, and sexual immorality in the Bible... It comes in one of three manners, and you know the first. The first one is kind of you know the the very straightforward physical. Rahab was a harlot. I hear Rahab's a dog now. Is that nice? Anyway, Rahab was a harlot, and then the people of God came, and the call of God came to her, and she ceased to be a harlot, and she became part of the lineage of Christ. Grace on display. As good as it gets, okay? So you have simple, like, physical harlotry with individuals, but you also have spiritual prostitution. We've been looking at that, even, you know, just in in the mornings here for the last couple weeks. If you read any of the Old Testament prophets, you're going to deal with this concept quite a bit. She, the spiritual harlotry is forsaking her husband, her first love, the, the worship of the one true God for false gods. We, we could quote the whole sermon this morning, and last week we could look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, how, be- how, faith- how the faithful city has become a whore. She who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Or once again, out of Jeremiah chapter 2, For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree you bowed down like a whore. And he continues there for the next five or six verses. And knowing Jeremiah, he may continue for the next five or six chapters, uh, even Ezekiel 26 or, or 16 where we were this morning. We see religious harlotry. We see religious prostitution. But Scripture also talks about in the Old Testament quite um, um, with quite a bit of volume um, that uh, amongst the Gentile nations that there is a commercial economic harlotry that is at work amongst them. Um, Just a couple of proof text examples. Isaiah chapter 23. In that day, Tyre, which is interesting that he uses Tyre because, if you'll remember, it is the lamentation over the prince of Tyre that is used to then speak about the king of Tyre that speaks of the fall of Satan himself, who is the beast that we're going to be speaking of here. And Tyre was involved in some very specific commercial harlotry. So here's how it reads. 
In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years like the days of one king. And at the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melodies, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of the 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre and she will return her wages. She will return her wages and will prostitute herself to all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. So this is a prostitution that does not have to do with religious prostitution, but it has to do with the way that one kingdom is relating to another and the currency here is not the love of the heart, but the wage that goes in the bank. We see the same, something similar in Nahum chapter 3, verses 4, and then again in verse 16. And all, all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms, You're in, you increased your merchants more than the stars of heaven. So basically in Scripture we've got three types of prostitution. Good old-fashioned one-on-one. Human prostitution, religious prostitution with false gods, and commercial and economic prostitution between nations. Now, she is Babylon the Great. She's not just any old prostitute. This says that she is the mother of the prostitutes. Makes sense when you know who the beast is and what he is the father of. She is the mother of the prostitutes. And being the mother of the prostitutes, we can say a couple different things about her. One, she would combine all of the individual manifestations of prostitution. So we got the good old one-on-one human prostitution. Well, that's easy to see. I mean, good grief. Three-quarters of the intimate relationships that are going on uh, across the world today, God probably considers prostitution on face value, even if no direct money is changing hands. Pretty, pretty bad scene if you hold up a scriptural standard to it. So that one's pretty easy to see. Um, But it would also combine religious prostitution, the worship of a false god, and persecution of the worshipers of the true god. But it wouldn't end there. If she's the mother of prostitutes, in her lies good old-fashioned prostitution, religious prostitution, and the commercial prostitution that is talked about so much amongst the Gentile nations. Or other words, wealth at any cost. So if you wanted to a face on this, you know, today you could talk about, you know, like blood diamonds and sweatshop tennis shoes. How about, how about that? But if she was the mother of all prostitutes, not only would she combine these since they spring forth from her, but she would also bring forth or birth new prostitution. As is said in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, it's the nature of, of it's the nature of lawlessness that Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The mother of prostitutes, we would expect to to engage in in the, the manifestation of all of her offspring. Physical, spiritual, and economic. In all of the Bible... The only entity that combines all of these characteristics that is a physical prostitute, a religious prostitute, an economic prostitute, and encourages others to do the same, even to the point of the threat of death if you don't. In all of the Bible, the only entity that combines all of these characteristics is the false religion of the Antichrist. That's it. 
Back in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. He looks like Christ, but he's not. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So here we have right off the bat, man, spiritual, religious prostitution. This is the ultimate worship of the ultimate false god. It continues. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Okay, so this not only is this um, religious prostitution, but this is, once again, birthing new prostitution. This is those that approve uh, not only not only do they engage in these things, but they approve of others engaging in it too. In this case, the approval has gone so far as to its coercion. If you don't participate, we'll kill you. Number sixteen. It also, or verse sixteen, it also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Why? So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. The exact same thing is said here as is said in chapter 17. This calls for wisdom. (laughs) Because they're both the same mystery. The harlot that you see, the great harlot, Babylon the great, mother of all prostitutes, is nothing less than the false religious and economic system of the Antichrist. He has combined in the mother of prostitutes every form of prostitution that has ever existed because it all came from this to begin with. I mean, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Yes, one day it is going to show itself very clearly, but, but the New Testament tells us clearly that it's already at work. And here it is, mixed together into one, in, into one well, heady cup full of abomination is both the... The, the religious prostitution that Israel was engaged in and the economic prostitution that Tyre was engaged in brought together to be something that is greater than the sum of its parts. The mystery that is spoken of about Babylon the Great is nothing less than the mystery of lawlessness itself. Fallen angel and fallen man together in rebellion against their creator as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 7 through 10 the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Here we see the mystery of lawlessness, the, the false religion of the Antichrist and his followers on full display named here Babylon the Great. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why to why um, 
it is she is called Babylon instead of maybe something else. And there's a lot of things that you could point to in Scripture uh, for what that might be. Certainly, there's some arguments to be made out of Daniel and those sorts of things. But I think the most sound argument is probably it was because it was there that the nations first corporate, corporately rebelled against God to make a name for themselves at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, which is the beginnings of the spirit of lawlessness of which here you see the fullness of come. She has success for a season. Her fine dress indicates she's been successful in her trade. And she knows how to ply her goods. Um, the cup and Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 7 the Lord tells the prophet Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand making all the earth drunken the nations drank of her wine therefore the nations went mad she has drawn them all in with her abominations the abominations outcome is nothing less than the martyrdom of the followers of Christ as it is written in Daniel chapter 11 he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Speaking of the Antichrist, the beast himself. He'll seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. This is who she is. She is mystery, the mystery of lawlessness, the, of which the false religion of the Antichrist is the ultimate expression, the mother of prostitution, combining in herself all types of prostitution that have ever been manifest, spoken of in Scripture, and producing more of it, bringing birth forth in others. The place of her abiding, it says, is upon many waters. And once again, this is a... Chapter 17 is, is allegory. Um, this isn't literal. She's not literally seated upon many waters. And we know that. Why? Once again, because, man, in apocalyptic literature, when something's a spiritual reality, it just tells you what it is and leaves it at that. But when it is an analogy, when, when, it's, when it's trying to show you something bigger than simply what's being said, it will tell you so. And the reason we know she's not literally set upon many waters is because the text qualifies it. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. How do you know we're dealing with imagery? Because the text tells you so. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So this is not the picture of a beast that is, you know, you can see from outer space that somehow is seated upon, you know, three or four different oceans. This is one who is seated upon the seas of the world, the waters of the peoples, <coughs> tribes and languages and nations. Notice, I think this is particularly worth noting, that she is not comprised of nations and peoples. She is seated upon them. And that's important to note. <laughs> The reality here is something more. Babylon is something more, just as Babel was in the first manifestation. It's more than just a bunch of folks getting together, more than just a bunch of humans getting together and 
deciding that they're going to have it their way and they're going to rebel against their creator and their sovereign. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. They are involved. They are complicit. But they are not definitive of the reality. The reality is something that is seated upon them. The idea here of a evil, despotic king whose throne sits upon the shoulders of his slaves while they carry him around. And they do so willfully because they're so evil of heart and deceive themselves that they think this must be the best way. She's crushing them. Babylon the Great is the timeless manifestation of the rebellion of fallen angel and fallen men false worship and godless gain. She has existed in different places and under different names to varying degrees throughout history. You can open this thing up and anywhere in it from the garden all the way to the revelation you will find her. She's always there. She is the manifestation of Satan's rebellion. The very thing that he plans to use to gain his ultimate end and that is the supplantion of God Himself. She is, not all, she is not only seated upon the waters. She is also seated on a beast. And the beast carries her, it says. She is dependent upon it. Now, I had high hopes for tonight, but that's where we'll leave it. Damon, you can pray for us, please.